All right. Another episode of the Pleasantly Persistent Podcast here with co-host Christy McGill and special guest, Susie. I think you do get a special guest uh, title, special guest Susie York. So uh, thank you for joining us. And I saw, I think I saw on LinkedIn, were you just at the NOSH event or either now? I was. It was uh, one of the best events the last five years. I haven't had a chance to go. Well, the first year I was, you know, just the first year little startup. So it was out of my league and then it just got so busy. And then uh, and then we've had COVID. So it's been my first time at NOSH, but I'm certainly going to figure out a way to to go every year. It's very, very, uh, very an excellent conference. Um, and I, I was uh, a guest speaker, too. So that made it even more special. That, that, that's awesome. So uh, can you give us a proper intro? Uh, what's, what's, yeah, your your path, what you're up to, where you live, and then we can dive in. Yeah, Susie York. I started my first brand at age 50 five years ago after reading a book, uh, The Big Fat Surprise by Nina Teicholz. And that book confirmed what I kind of suspected is that we were all misinformed for 40 years. Fats are indeed good Sugar was the culprit in that one flawed study anyway that that told us that convinced the um, the AMA um, uh, to uh, the uh, American Heart Association to do national broadcasts and say we have to start stop eating saturated fats and we have to start uh, stop all cholesterol and instead eat margarine and all that awfulness and then the low fat craze that followed in the 90s with uh, over 400,000 products that was all a big sham scam yeah. and uh and I was curious you know I'm I've been struggling with my health I've done 11 Ironmans I was doing yoga daily uh and super fit and was staying lean and I had high blood two prescription medications high blood pressure and IBS my doc, you know, I followed every heart like diet in the world. It was getting worse. And it was really because I've been on a low fat diet for 20 years and you, you cut fat to your brain, you cut good fats out entirely. And you, you know, and I wasn't eating many, you know, of the three white evil carbs yet, despite that, I wasn't able to get my health where it needed to be. So I, I kind of read that book and I said, I'm going to do something about it right after there was like 10 other science books that were coming out from doctors. And I said, I don't need to write a, another book. There's, you know, Dr. McCullough, Dr. Hyman, there's a lot of doctors that are writing books on this topic. So you don't need me for that. I'll launch a brand. And I really wanted to call it with the word fat. So I, you know, did what I do. I'm a I was before the prior to that I was a 20 year CMO type with Procter and Gamble, Frito Lay Heinz. So I helped launch brands, relaunch brands. And um, I just did the basics. I'll write the positioning and uh, I'll work through, you know, figure out how to get prototypes once uh, the ones in my kitchen were good enough and then, uh, and then get on the shelf. So that was kind of, just deciding to do that. I had a tiny little bit of money saved and I was been a single mom for 10 years. Um, so that's kind of how I launched my first brand. So it's pretty scary and a pretty bold move after a salary for 20, 25 years. And then uh, I stepped out of the CEO role just during COVID. And uh, I was like, okay, you know, like I'm still on the board and uh, lots keeping me busy there. But 
uh, I realized that there's an opportunity with uh, a co-man that I had met uh, uh, recently that I could launch a second brand. And that's kind of where that came about, where I'm like, well, wait a minute, this seems like an opportunity that's too good to pass. So I was kind of, you know, leading edge with good fats. And now I'm leading edge again with functional foods. And this one is functional chocolates with benefits is one of the lines. So the box on the left, and then the other line is just a vitamin line. So it's um, a jar of the chocolates. Oh, I gotta get the ones downstairs. So um, beautiful chocolate bites. So this is just a real one in yep. a jar. Um, and it's actual little chocolate bites inside. So instead of gummy bears, you can have yep. a pure dark chocolate. Uh, so it sounds like you've been bit by the bug of entrepreneurship yeah, now. <laughs> yeah. So now I'm launching my second one. We are starting to ship in Canada in a couple of weeks and in the U.S. Uh, just after Christmas in February, March. So I know you're still affiliated with Love Good Fats, but when you were in, in the CEO seat, like when you think back of during that time, like what? what hit the spot the most like was there a certain win or something you did for your culture or like a rebrand is there something one or two things that just like really hit the spot uh, the there's, there's a hundred like it was yeah. a pretty big high because you know we smashed all records in canada we launched in september 2017 within 36 months we had sold 100 million cumulative sales we got listed at every single banner in canada so it was like week after week like oh now we're listed here now we're listed there then we got phone calls from the us oh now we're i'm flying down to to Austin. Now I'm flying down uh, to Arizona. Like it was one after the other, after the other. So there was so many highs. And then mm. we got listed nationally at Walmart, national at Kroger, totally. uh, at Costco nationally in Canada. And so every week was a big week. We had influencers calling us, wanting us. We had innovation. We started with two SKUs and then two more, two more, two more, two more, two shakes, two more. Mm -hmm. then rebranding so it mm -hmm. there's a there's probably too, too many yeah. yeah there's and too you, many totally and do you think like like the product's so good the label's so good but do you think it was also like the perfect storm of like keto and paleo and like that being so popular still popular yeah. rightfully so but you know the, the up and coming of keto and paleo yeah. So, it, I mean, the label, the packaging yeah, sucked. It was pretty bad. Right the first yeah. version was really bad. And the first formula wasn't even keto friendly. And I had a couple of ingredients that I quickly removed, but we still kind of wind up being number one selling within six weeks at the health food stores here in Canada and, and Ontario. So we knew we we're on to something because, you know, we weren't as good as we, we were, you know, quickly thereafter and we're still like doing really well. So um, uh, but it's the keto, uh, you know, I had a brand called Susie's good fats and it became love good fats. And then keto became really, really popular. So again, we weren't even keto friendly at first. The, and then uh, I don't think we put keto friendly on the packaging for a whole year, but by association, the bars are really, really good. Like they melt in your mouth. Like it's a fats bar, right? When instead of yep. like lots of protein that becomes hard, which, uh, and doesn't taste all that. Many of them don't taste all that good protein bars, like the biggest dissatisfiers, they don't taste good. We had a fats bar that literally is like truffle. It's like 
biting into a decadent melt okay. in your mouth, you mm-hmm. know, chocolate experience. So we had something very, very unique. So people would buy it and they're like, oh my God, like I've never tasted yeah, a bar like that. Yeah. Now it also was well, soft and it melted and, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, so it's it problems. Yeah. 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 Um, so I'm curious, Christy, I'll take in one more and then g- give you some space. So I'm sure you connect with lots of founders uh, who want advice. Yeah. What do you, what do you, what do you hear? What, where do you like to steer people? Or I know it's kind of a general question, but like, what do you hear constantly that they're going this way? And you're like, Ooh, maybe focus here. Well, one of the things I did in February is I started Founders Helping Founders. And the idea was just to get 10 of us to have, you know, monthly calls and just kind of exchange notes because I was getting more and more founders pinning me, right? And especially as as I stepped out of the full-time role and they wanted, you know, just an hour here, an hour there. And it always kind of comes back to the same stuff. So I said, well, let's do founders helping founders. And then I can just kind of do podcasts. I can throw them on LinkedIn or I can kind of just set up like a Slack or something. And then I posted on LinkedIn, I was doing that. We got 180 that signed up. I had a form to sign them up. And then now we're over 380 on the email list. And um, I do the monthly founders helping founders and I got to go through the four P's. So I'm recycling through that. I'm going to do a longer podcast, put it on LinkedIn, but it's pretty much always the basic advice. I probably have 20 or 30 founders that yeah, 30 that I've talked one-on-one now with uh, as I sneak in time, but start with your positioning, your positioning becomes your packaging, becomes your campaign, becomes your website, right? It becomes kind of and write down to your positioning. I have a format that I, it's the PNG format, but I just sent out, you know, fill in these blanks before you have a call with me and your positioning. Yep. Cause that's where I found like the positioning is not tight. The positioning becomes your elevator pitch becomes your 32nd pitch becomes your sales deck, your sales sheet, your PR brief, your packaging brief, your innovation brief, right? It all starts with your positioning. So fill out that one page or word doc, and then make sure that your product delivers on your promise of your positioning, make sure that your price value is the right price for your positioning and your product. And then you can go spend money, but don't go spend money. Don't go get listed. Don't go spend marketing money. Don't go paying brokers until your, your positioning and your product and your price value are at least, you know, a single and a double. It doesn't need to be a home run, but at least a single and a double, or you're spending money that's not going to have the optimal ROAS. I love it. So is it Susie's three P's? Is that how you frame it up? Yeah. I call it the four P's because the fourth one is P&L and P&L allows you to decide on the awareness and trial money you're going to spend, the broker money, the sales, the distribution money, the trade spend money you're going to spend. So it's kind of the four P's. So all I have a bunch of little decks, but it always comes down to that. And when I kind of meet like all the founders, we usually start with, you know, the first P because often they're asking me for advice because the velocities are not where they need to be. Because when your velocities are where you need to be, what happens with love get fast, like it just goes nuts. But if your velocities are not where they need to be and it's like, well, how do I get more velocities? And then if you go to Natural Product Expo, you know, one out of two brands has new branding. You know, we have new branding, we have new innovation and you have to be careful. Innovation can kind of save a company, but it can also, you know, bankrupt a company because innovation is expensive. 
And it's, you know, in, in the CPG world, we had innovate or die as a saying. So it's that fine line that innovation will turn around on most of the brands I've worked on were the game changer turn around, you know, Heinz Ketchup, Weight Watchers, Doritos, Testitos. Innovation was the turn around of the brand's trajectory. Um, that being said, innovation is expensive and has, you know, an 80 to 96% fail rate. So you got to start with the homework on the positioning, whether it's your mother brand or your category or line extensions. Definitely. So I'm curious. So I, I come from, I work in food service now, but I come from a background of selling and, and working with natural brands on the brand side in retail, um, but I've never sold in Canada. So, you know, tackled all the major retailers throughout the U.S. I'm curious as someone who started a brand in Canada, what are the major differences, right? Working with retailers in the U.S. versus working there. So yeah, kind of walk me through some of that. Yeah, well, there's a lot of similarities because natural health food stores are kind of the same across the border. Um, grocery, groceries are kind of the same mass and club. Um, the It's more concentrated trade in Canada. So you get listed at five accounts and you're pretty much across the country in the U.S. Um, it's changing now with Kroger and um, Albertson. But in the U.S., you don't have as much consolidation of the trade. So it gets takes longer to get national listings but from a natural startup you know you you kind of get your product like we're in Ontario there's a lot of health food stores there's a lot out west as a founder you you know you go kind of door to door to the to the chains and you you try to get listed in the chain and then of course you need UNFI um or KHE UNFI KHE in the US you're not UNFI purity or tree of life in Canada you need a distributor you need to kind of know how the math works with distributor versus direct. And then as a founder, you want to be in the stores, you know, you do the demos, talk to the staff, do the consumer shows around. Um, it's scrappy you, bootstrapping startups. Do you think the the consumer base differs at all as far as what they're looking for or like people's adaption rates to better for you products? Yeah, I've answered that question a lot because I launched, you know, Love Good Fats in Canada and we grew like to 20 million overnight. And then, of course, you know, we we're launching in the U.S. and we we're we raised five rounds of funding. So every VC is asked the same question, you know, is because if you take the math in Canada and you multiply it out, we would have had, you know, a gazillion billion dollar brand. Um, and there are some things that are transposable. I mean, the consumer is no longer as as different as, you know, back 20 years ago, there was a lot of differences. Canada, US, there was, you know, you couldn't even sell the same brand of ketchup flavor for chips. Like there was huge differences in flavor preferences. Um, there's huge differences in private label uh, development in both countries because of consolidation of the trade. A lot of things has become now much more similar. Um, you know, there was huge hypotheses like, oh, keto will be stronger in Canada or weaker in Canada. Americans are more overweight. They're more onto diet trends. You know, like you had the two extremes of the hypotheses. And in the end, it, it was kind of pretty similar. Um, the, the big difference is like in the U.S., there's more chains and there's more brands. So, you know, you maybe had like four or five keto brand bar brands launch in Canada and you had 20 mm -hmm. in the U.S. And the U.S. retailers are cycling in every six months. They would list seven more brands. Right. So it's like, OK, you got six months to test yourself. So 
what I heard again and again before going in the U.S. and the advice I I give all Canadian most of my groups are they're not all Canadian, but most are Canadian is, you know, prove your concept in Canada if you're here. You know, the hundred mile rule. Prove your concept here. The U.S. is bigger, harder, and more expensive than even what you think. Right? Like whatever you put on your business plan, it's going to be even worse than that. So, um, and it is, it's more expensive and it's harder to break through. So we have the opportunity to, to be able to do some proof of concept here. Sometimes it doesn't transpose for, you know, if you don't have enough budget or, or whatnot, but many of the times like a good, a solid brand that has a good proof of concept here, the consumer is similar enough and the retailers are similar enough that you can, you can do well south of the border also and vice versa. Mm -hmm. I um I love that you became a founder. I don't know if this is the right term later on in life, yeah. but I think um you know I'm in my mid 30s. Um I've been in CPG for most of my career, and you know you you go on LinkedIn right, and every yeah. founder's I, I'm I, yeah. uh, constantly I look their ages up and I go really this one's 25, this one's 26. Like you know it's amazing. It's amazing to have seen so much you know, young energy come into entrepreneurship, but there's something about wisdom of time and experience that holds a ton of value, especially in my opinion. Yeah. I think that we get better as we age um, and, and really have a lot more to offer. How have you found being both a female founder um, and then being a, a female founder, you know, that's in a little bit of a, you've had a long tenured career and then you came over to that. Have you found that to work to your advantage, kind of both of those things, or is it proved out to have some different struggles that you maybe didn't anticipate? Yeah, well, for sure, like having experience of like I worked in natural for 10 years, I worked in large CPGs and I was an intrapreneur in the larger and medium sized companies. So kind of have a perfect combination of like that type of DNA. Um, but a, final, a founder DNA is often very different than the big CPGs. And I'm kind of in the middle because I was more the entrepreneur and the change agent. And I, I kind of very, very, very practical. So having the benefit of, you know, seeing a lot of innovations that do well and that fail at working 10 years in with brokers and natural and helping smaller brands was just all kind of perfectly aligned. So when I got to age 50 and I'm like, I think I'm going to try this. I'd work with, you know, five or six CEOs and I was like, I can do that, right? Like I was like, they were hiring me to do their three-year business plan, their P&L, their unit economics, uh, like their their sales decks, their marketing plans. Like I was like, okay, like I can do that. I just didn't have an idea. On the female side, I mean, it's it still kind of sucks out there, right? Like female founders get two to 7% of the funding. I'm, I'm lesbian. So LGBT founders, it's a fraction of that. BIPOC, it's a fraction of that. So it's still a tough world out there. And unfortunately, you know, we, we still have a lot of work to do. You know, I, I posted yesterday about December 6th, uh, 1989, the, the, the murders and massacres in, in, in Ecole Polytechnique in Montreal, where, you know, um, the gunman just didn't like women uh, being in engineering um, taking his place. There's still a lot of work to do. There's lots of work that has moved forward, but, uh, for us to get to a point where, you know, 50% of founders are women, well, we need 
50% of the funding. Like we're far, far away from that. So I'm using my voice to hopefully kind of move that platform forward, but there's still a lot of work to do and I'm opening up a lot of time to do that. But yeah, that's amazing. I had gone through multiple funding rounds at my previous one and it is still kind of little shocking uh, how when you go into those groups, how, wow, just heavily it's, they'll they'll immediately want to turn and talk to the male of the group right and yeah. it's or, or or ask you know you're going through proving out and being the sales leader right getting asked about sales leader numbers and then they turn and they ask the the, yeah. the male like to kind of verify that for you so it's definitely it's definitely interesting and the numbers around how little capital is still available to women founders is kind of shocking i think that people we see a lot of improvements that have happened and and kind of forget how tricky and tough it still is um in that space for the female founders. Yep. Yeah. I'm part of uh, a bunch of, you know, female breakfast groups and stuff. And you hear those type of stories all the time. So we have, we have work to do, but you know, got to kind of get at it. And uh, hopefully my second brand, I'll have kind of a second business platform uh, to continue kind of having my voice out there. There's uh, some amazing women and some amazing organizations in Canada um, within with district ventures or venture park and EDC and, and, uh, and that are really and BDC that are really pushing and making sure that they prioritize uh, supporting diversity um, in, in terms of, of founders um, to to kind of help offset that that that, it, that 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 kind of unbalance we have right now because it is harder. It's harder to get board members. It's harder to get money. It's harder to get the right connections to get to the right, you know, uh, the right uh, resources you need. So we all kind of need to to do our part to to kind of shift it back until until we're we're where we need to be, which is fifty fifty. Definitely. To wrap, which which Iron Man was the most beautiful and scenic and which Iron Man was the most grueling and challenging? <laughs> well, the Hawaii Iron Man World Championship in 1994 is by far the most grueling. I've had a few tough races, but you know, you step off the airplane and you on on the the asphalt on the Queen Kamaimaia Highway and sweat is dripping in your socks and you're like, yeah. holy crap, I'm going to need to yeah. race for 12 hours in, in five days. So it's uh, between the wind and the heat that that race is designed to demolish you. And it does a really good job of that. But I, I was still standing at the finish line. So that was good. And, um, and I've done a lot of hard, I've done fast races, Florida, I've done hard races, you know, Lake Placid in the rain. Um, but they're all different experiences and, uh, I'm on a little break right now. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for your time. We enjoy this conversation very much. And best place to find you, LinkedIn, Better Chocolate LinkedIn, website. I, I answer all my DMs on LinkedIn. I get 20 cold calls a day. So sometimes it gets me a while to get through to the to the, to the the good stuff. Uh, right, um, and uh, and uh, com. Cool. All right, Susie. Thank you Fire very much. We appreciate okay. it. Bye. Okay, bye.